Morning, everybody. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor Jim. And uh, if I've never met you before, I'd love to meet you after the service and welcome you to our church this morning. We're going to be in Acts chapter 11, second half of that this morning. Uh, if you're using one of the Bibles located in the chairs in front of you, it's going to be on page 920. So you don't need to look at the table of contents first. So you're welcome. Uh, today we're going to talk about names. And I think you can tell a lot about yourself by what other people call you. Now, I've been called a few things in my life, some of which I probably shouldn't say because I'm a pastor. But particularly in college, me and my group of friends sort of created a reputation. We were called a few things. Let me give you some, and let me say, this was a, you know, this was a rough and tumble group. Three of us became pastors, so you know it's all crazy. Um, and one is a professor at a Christian university. So again, we're just, we were out of control, but we had a few nicknames. Uh, one of them uh, was, it was after our chaplain. The chaplain of the school's name was uh, Chaplain Cooper. Everyone called him Coop. And uh, he called me and two of, two of those friends, again, the, the two other pastors in this ragtag group, he called us his three pieces of trouble. Okay, that, that was a fun one. We sort, of, we sort of liked that one because Coop was a nice guy. And uh, so we were Coop's three pieces of trouble. Um, later on, after we left... Our school, our friend, the psychology professor, found out uh, that some people on campus called us the conservative underground. That was exciting. I didn't know we were underground for a lot of our time. Maybe we were hiding in caves. We didn't know about that one. That one we found about later. But my favorite one was one told straight to our faces uh, of feisty Christies. That was an exciting one. Um, that one obviously meant as an insult. Um, I don't think the people who were calling us that really were like, yay, you guys are feisty crises. Um, no, that was meant with some derision. But, but honestly, as is the case with many nicknames, the group that is called a name unfavorably oftentimes will just own that name. And so we took it, and again, this is not what was meant by it, but we took it as we were seen as people who were all about Jesus. And what was meant as an insult, we took on as a badge of courage and boldness. That whatever they knew about us, they knew we were serious about our faith. And again, we didn't really try to be feisty on purpose so much as we wanted to be, we wanted to have Jesus as central in our lives. And, and we really believed that the Bible was the word of God. And if that makes us a feisty Christy, then I'll take it. But today in our story, 
the early church gets a nickname. In fact, in our story today, it records the first time that Christians are called Christians. And maybe you've always wondered, where does that name come from? Well, it's, it's right here in our story, and we'll read about it. But here's, here's the thing I want us to see from this story. Is that the early church was living in such a way, and speaking in such a way, that people identified them with their Savior. They were living like Jesus and speaking like Jesus so much that they got named after Jesus. That in their speech and in their actions, they lived up to the name of their Savior. And so for us today... I want us to see examples of how to live up to our name. How to live up to the name of Christ. Our big idea as, as you follow along in the outline in your bulletin is, is, is a simple one, but I think it can be a transformative truth. The big idea is this, that Christians speak and live like Christ. Again, you can even memorize that. You know, so you're welcome. It's a short one today. So you can, you can memorize this one. But in our story today, we're going to see four ways that the early church both spoke and lived like Jesus and lived up to the name of Christian or Christ people. So let's first look at Christian share Christ. Let's look at verses 19 to 21. Now there were those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So interestingly, we're still seeing the effects of the martyrdom of Stephen. As Stephen is killed, we learn that there was persecution that broke out after that and spread the church. And in some ways, it carried Christians great distances. To give you an idea, uh, Phoenicia is modern-day Syria. Cyprus is an island in the Mediterranean. Antioch is um, southeastern Turkey, so about 300 miles away from Jerusalem, roughly either here to Eugene or here to Spokane. Cyrene is another interesting one. That's modern-day Libya. And so the gospel is spread. Christians are spread because of the persecution. And as they go, they share Jesus. The very thing that is causing them to have to leave their homes and travel great distances, that is what they share. They share the good news that Jesus died to save sinners. And some of them 
some of them ministered to Jewish populations in those cities, in the city of Antioch here specifically. But others go the extra step. They go that extra mile and speak to who are here called the Hellenists, or some translations may say the Greeks. And this group of people are Gentiles. They are not like we saw in earlier stories, Greek-speaking Jews. These are Greeks, plain and simple. And so again, these believers who are persecuted, who are kicked out of their homes, are reaching across cultural and racial boundaries to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's people are boldly sharing the story of Jesus. And again, as we look at who Christians are, this is a part of that action, that, that people who are identified with Christ share Christ. Again, it, it, in some ways, it's, it's quite simple. But are we showing ourselves to be followers of Jesus by sharing his good news? Because amazing things happen when we do. Look at verse 21 there. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. It's a wonderful pattern of evangelism or pattern of sharing about Jesus. When we step out in faith and boldly proclaim Jesus, the hand of God moves. And here, here's the thing. There's a little relief here. You don't have to change somebody. Because if you've seen enough, or if you've admitted this to yourself, you can't change anybody. <laughs> And so we're called to speak and to share a story of the God who loved us so much he sent his son to die for us. But then we wait for the hand of God to move. Because God is the one who changes hearts. And again, we see God takes these Gentiles Through the power of his hand, they believe and become Christians. It's not based on how clever I am or how charismatic and how great personality I have. It doesn't even matter my wonderful jokes that you all love. Amen. Hallelujah. What matters is we serve a God who transforms sinners into saints and brings life where there was death. So we share knowing that God will move. But an interesting thing happens in this story is that the Jerusalem church, sort of the headquarters of the church, at this time in history, hears about what's going on in Antioch. 
And we see the second thing that Christians do. Again, if you're following along in your outline there, Christians send missionaries. Look at verses 22 to 24. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas, there's Barnabas again, to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So again, how do churches work? How do Christians work? Where there is a gospel need, the church sends to meet the need. And oftentimes, that means sending people. Now again, I want you to think about this, because we're going to see this as a pattern in Acts. If Barnabas was a member here, with his generosity, with his kindness, with his servant heart, we wouldn't want to let him go. Right? If you had Barnabas a part of your organization, like say you're a business, you had a guy like Barnabas, works hard, is a good, is full of integrity, you're not going to want to let him go. The church in Jerusalem sacrifices on behalf of someone else to share their resources. And sometimes that resource is people. And as Christians, we must be ready to send people where they are needed. And we must find joy in that God allows us to send people to be involved in his work. Uh, this is one thing that, that I'm so grateful about our church, that the percentage of our budget that goes to missions is, is honestly much higher than in many churches. And that is something we do really well here. But I think it's something we always need to be doing more because there is so much need. We must always be committed to missions because there is so much need for the gospel outside of our community. But the other thing I want us to think about is why Barnabas? Why send Barnabas? Well, number one, Barnabas is a man of integrity and character. He is a mature believer. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Barnabas is also from Cyprus. And so we see some wisdom here in that believers from Cyprus were the ones sharing with the Greeks. And so the church sends someone who has a similar background to the believers doing the work, that has that connection Again, there's wisdom here in sending the right person and thinking through who would best fit that need. But they also need someone to encourage the believers. And who better than Barnabas, the son of encouragement? What does that look like for us, though? Number one, we need to be sending missionaries full-time. I love, again, that we have a history of that. I think right off the top of my head of David Heinen, who was a part of our church, and we sent out into the mission field for full-time ministry. It's also things like 
If you notice, some of our regular praise team members weren't up here today. Well, some of them, some are on, on vacation, but others are actually at another church helping them with their singing. Because we freely want to help other believers in need. Also, when Lucas, Dave, and I fill pulpit for other churches so that those pastors who oftentimes are solo pastors can go on vacation with their family, that is a way we think past ourselves and our needs and send people to meet the needs of others. Different local churches help one another. But let's also look at what Barnabas does as a missionary. Because I think that's something we need to understand. What do missionaries do? What should they do? What does the Bible say about the work of missionaries? I think there's two things. One, to encourage and train leaders and believers. Look at verse 22. Sorry, verse 23. When he came and saw the grace of God, and he exhorted them or encouraged them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. This idea of teaching and encouraging believers in their faith. That is one thing that missionaries are called to do. But to encourage them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. There's a call to, to not only respond to the gospel, but there's a call to endure in the gospel. There's a call to persevere in our faith. And guess what? The fact that Barnabas is telling them this shows that they have a need for it. And, and so much of preaching is a call to believers to persevere in their faith. To not give into the temptations of the world. To not give up their faith. It may have looked something like Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. You will be tempted to give up the faith. You will be tempted to go the easier route. You will be tempted to go back to the life you once had before Jesus. And the missionary and the preacher and the believer to another believer is the call to remain faithful to the Lord and not to be deceived by sin. So a missionary encourages believers, but a missionary also evangelizes unbelievers. Look again at verse 24. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Barnabas joins the ministry that is going on there in reaching out to those who do not know Jesus. And as we have seen before, we read that many people were added to the Lord, again pointing to God's sovereign hand in people coming to Christ. 
Barnabas is involved in both actions. And here's the temptation, is we want to pick one. You know, there's some friends that I have that they, they get really frustrated really easily with, with believers. And they just want to spend all their time with unbelievers. That's, that's wonderful. But you don't get to choose. And there are some guys who feel way more popular with already believers. And who, who honestly sometimes just don't know what to say to those who don't know Jesus because they've spent their whole life in church. But you can't, it, it's not an either or. We must be involved in both. We must both be encouraging our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and reaching out to those who don't know Jesus. But the job's going to be too big. It's too much for Barnabas. The work is too great. So Barnabas is going to do a third thing that Christians do. And that is Christians serve together. Look at verses 25 to 26. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. The job was too big, even for Barnabas. So Barnabas knows he needs help. Again, Barnabas doesn't just say, it's too much for me, I'm going back to Jerusalem. Barnabas says, it's too much for me, I'm going to go get Saul. So Barnabas goes to Tarsus, brings Saul to Antioch. And again, we, we need to understand that Paul was willing to come to Antioch. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if Barnabas like literally picked him up and like carried It seems a long way. So, but what a picture of Christian ministry. That God has given us each other to serve together because the job is too big. I can't do it all. You can't do it all. None of us can do it by ourselves. Even Barnabas. Because again, we've seen how great... Barnabas is. He's awesome. But he can't do it on his own. And so he finds a buddy. He finds a ministry buddy, and that ministry buddy is willing to help. And I just want you to think about the ministry that we need to do as a church and that you need to do in your individual lives. You need a buddy. But there's also benefits to having a buddy. Number one, you can make them do things. Especially if you were his idea first. You're like, hey, friend, I need you to do this for me. And then you sort of pick what they do. If you're first, you get to pick jobs. It's true. <laughs> but you can support each other. You're not always going to want to do ministry. You're not always going to have exceeding joy when you walk into nursery, when you sign up for nursery. So you can support 
one another. And you can share the load together. Because sometimes we feel like it's too much, and sometimes it is. And so you need to go get a buddy. And sometimes that buddy needs to be your spouse for the good of your marriage and for the good of your family. I want you to think about this. If you have kids, if you have grandkids, they need to see you serve with your spouse. They need to know what ministry looks like, not just talk about it. But also, it keeps us from burning out when we have a buddy. And sometimes we burn out in ministry because we were too proud to ask for help. And we'd rather give up, which is easier, then take the time to go find a partner in ministry and continue the work that God is calling us to do. And, and, and again, let me, let me speak to those, to those who are married. This is building your relationship and strengthening your relationship by having, by coming together for the sake of the gospel. God has given each of us work to do, but he's also given us partners in ministry to help us do it. And as I said before in verse 21, sorry, verse 27, now in the, I'm going to mess up again. And in verse 26, one day I'll be able to read the small numbers. And in Antioch, the disciples are first called Christians. It's not entirely clear whether this was meant to be an insult. It could have been, like feisty Christies. It could be more patterned off of the different political parties at that time. Because the church was becoming more and more distinct from Judaism, especially with the inclusion of the Gentiles. But a couple of things we need to see in that is one, that the ministry of the Gentiles was so important to bring in those who were far away from God was so important that it actually helped create a distinct identity from Judaism. That welcoming in those far away from God gave them identity. But as I said before the strongest part of this is that they were acting so much like Jesus and Jesus was so central to who they were and what they said and what they did that people gave them his name that they were so much about Christ that they got called Christians would someone call me that if they met me and talked with me and saw me live my life? Would they say, you are so much like Jesus? You must be a Jesus person. 
Fourthly, we see, again, that we not only speak about Jesus, but we act like Jesus. Number four, Christians serve other Christians. Verses 27 to 30. Now in those days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So these prophets were coming to Antioch from Jerusalem. One of them named Agabus says, Look, the Spirit told me there is going to be a famine, and it's going to be a bad one. Luke's note that this took place in the days of Claudius helps us to connect this to history. People would have known about a famine that happened in the reign of the Emperor Claudius. But how do they respond? How do they respond to believers they've never met? How do they respond to the church that sent them Barnabas as a missionary? How do these probably mostly Gentile people respond to a Jewish church. Again, the Jerusalem church would have been predominantly Jewish. They put their words into actions. They put the unity of the body of Christ into actions, and each one of them, according to their ability, gives money for relief or gives goods or resources for the relief of people they've never met. They serve people they do not know because of the unity of Christ and that the Jerusalem church served them by sending Barnabas to speak God's word to them. One author has written this, The Jews brought salvation to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles reciprocate by bringing support to the Jews. Reconciliation is evident not just in word, but also in deed. Generosity builds unity. And let me add, this is something I really believe, that generosity is the sign of true Christian maturity. We need to be generous, especially with other churches, especially with other believers. Bruce Martin, our district superintendent for our denomination, has, has a little bit of a mantra that we're better together than we are apart. And that even other churches need other churches. One example where I've seen that, that we have done this, and, and again, I want us to encourage us, encourage us to do it more, is when, for our men's retreat, we invited the other churches in our region. And we served them by, by planning pretty much all of the retreat and invited them to come. And we shared our resources with them. God is calling us to share our lives and to share what we have 
with people with whom we are only connected through faith. <laughs> there was no Facebook, no Twitter accounts, so these people had no idea, any of these people in Antioch, but they knew that they were believers and they knew they needed to help. And as Jesus said in John thirteen thirty five, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love, love for one another. living out being his disciple being a Christian being a Christ person so are we living up to our name are we living up to the name of Christian are we all about Christ? Do we speak like Christ? Do we act like Christ? Do our words and actions demonstrate that Jesus is the most important thing in our lives? Christians speak and live like Christ. They share Christ. They send missionaries and are missionaries. They serve together, and they meet the needs of other Christians. May we live up to our name as the Spirit empowers us to do so. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this story of the Christians being called Christians. that we would live up to the name that was given so many years ago. That we would share the good news that Jesus Christ died and rose again to forgive sinners and to give the hope of eternal life and that we can have forgiveness and the hope of eternal life through placing our trust in Jesus Christ. That we would share that message boldly and and know that your hand will move, that you will add believers, and that you will bring life where there was death. God, that we would serve together for your glory, and, and that we thank you that you have provided partners in ministry for us. God, that we would care about and serve the needs of other Christians and other churches that we would think outside of our needs and our church's needs for the spread of the gospel across the world. God, by your spirit, that you would empower us to speak like Christ and to live like Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.